Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. It's coming ready or not. Amen. There is no place I'd rather be than right here worshiping our Savior with all of you, and I hope you feel the same. We're celebrating our Savior's human birth over the next few days, but the reality is God, the Son, has no beginning and has no end. John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, he said, In the beginning, the word, or that word there stands for Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. Now, whose beginning is John talking about? He's not talking about Jesus' beginning or God's beginning. He's talking about our beginning. When we started keeping time. See, God works outside of time, always has, always will be. Scripture tells us a year is as a thousand days to him, and a day is as a thousand years. So, in the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Jesus gave life to everything created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. Now, I want you to do some rejoicing with me this morning. You see, after thousands of years of temporary sacrifices for the atonement of sin, see, the atonement isn't forgiveness, it's a covering. So all through all these thousands of years, sacrifices have been offered, and they needed to be re-offered because we kept sinning. So after thousands of years of this temporary sacrificial system, God sent his one and only son to earth to be the once and forever acceptable sacrifice to the Father for all sin, for all time. That's pretty inclusive. In other words, his sacrifice has covered the sins that you've done and the ones that you're going to do. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, he said, but when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when God knew it was just right, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The Christmas story is all about his arrival as a tiny baby boy. He was born to a a young, God-fearing virgin named Mary. His father has always been God and always will be God, but Joseph was chosen to fill some mighty big shoes on a temporary basis as Jesus' earthly father. But Joseph named the baby boy as directed by God, and and he has been known as Jesus ever since. Did you know that? He wasn't known as Jesus before he came to earth. He's been known by a lot of names, but God told Joseph, name my son Jesus, because he's the Savior. Now, there's a lot of questions that come to mind and are often asked about this Christmas story. And I've picked a few of the most common ones. Like, for instance, have you ever wondered why God chose Mary? 
I know a lot of people speculate as to why. And I don't know that I have maybe just a couple of the answers. I know one. First and foremost, God chose Mary because he's sovereign and he knows what's best always. Even though you and I may not understand his choices, we can always depend that they're the best because he is sovereign. That word sovereign means he's in charge of everything. He knows everything. He has all power and everything is under his control. He doesn't cause everything, but he does allow it or it doesn't happen. That's what sovereignty means. So he was, he's sovereign and he knows what's best. And I would add this, that he also chose Mary because he knew she was a God-fearing virgin. Why is that virgin such a big issue? Because she had never known a man. That's important. It's very important. Because, see, Joseph wasn't Jesus' father. He was his earthly father. God Almighty was Jesus' father. Why is it important? Because God's perfect, therefore Jesus was born with a perfect spirit. Amen? He wasn't born as a sinner like you and I. He didn't have that sinful nature. That's very important because he was going to be called upon by the Father to be the perfect sacrifice. Well, then you might ask, well, why did God choose Joseph? Did he really need him? Well, somebody had to take care of this baby boy. Somebody had to take care of Mary. And again, I would say that God chose Joseph because of his sovereignty. He knew Joseph would respectfully and responsibly take care of not only Mary, but take care of baby Jesus. And he did just that. You know that Joseph was a listener to God's will? Oh, yeah, the Lord directed him a lot in those early days. Why did God choose you? Because he's sovereign and he knows what's best. And does he know that you're willing to do what he's asked you to do? You know, being the mother and father of baby Jesus is a pretty important job. Well, the next question that often comes to mind is, why did he come? Why did God have Jesus come? In fact, why did he even create us when he knew, when he created us, what it was going to cost him? You see, God knows everything. Already, he even knows what you're thinking about doing tomorrow, so be careful. He does. He knows everything, and he's always known everything. And he went ahead and created us knowing that Adam and Eve were going to mess up. And if you'd have been there and I'd have been there, we'd have just filled in for him real good because we're prideful people. And so he came... Because he loves us. He, he created us to have fellowship with us. We messed it up, but you know what? He already had a plan in place. Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain in God's mind. Scripture gives us many clear answers to this question. Why did he come? I'll tell you why. Because everyone in this room, everyone in this county, everyone in this state, everyone in the, in the world has, has sinned. We're sinners. 
If you've sinned, it makes you a sinner. How many here are sinners? I'll wait. Ah, that's a, that's a universal problem we've got because scripture tells us everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And if you wonder what that glorious standard is, because it's been removed from a lot of places, that glorious standard is the Ten Commandments. In fact, Jesus said, listen, I can boil those ten down to two. He said, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, you won't have problems with the other eight. Those are his standards. This is a participating sermon. How many of you here, or is there anybody here that's never broken one of the commandments? Put your hand down. I want to make sure. Is there anybody here, I'm going to give you a second chance, that has never broken one of the commandments? Yeah. Okay. And people say, well, you know, I've never stolen anything. You ever taken a pen? As a matter of fact, a bunch of you have taken pens because we need to have a pen offering at our church. We put pens in these, in these places in there to be used, and yes, take them home if you need to. But if you take something that's not yours, what does that make you? A thief. And if you say, well, I've never done it, what does that make you? How are we doing so far? All right, I think we're all convinced that we're sinners. Well, here's the thing. We're sinners, but there's a price to pay for sin. It's called the wages of sin. The payment for sin is death. God said the only way that sin will be removed is if death happens. Man, we are in big trouble, folks. We're in big trouble because every one of us has sinned, and the payment for sin is death. But, but the free gift of God is eternal life. What is the gift? I want this to sink in. What is the gift? Eternal life. I know I'm excited about my Christmas presents, but I'm going to tell you, this is a big one here. Eternal life. That's the free gift. I want to, what's the price? It's free to you and me. It's not free to the Father, nor was it free to his Son. So here we go. We've all sinned, and the payment for sin is death, but God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Why? He says so in John chapter 3, verse 16. For this is how God loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, eternal Life. I'm just going to keep running that over because sometimes it's hard to get my mind around eternal things. They mean they will never stop. Everything here seems to stop, and I'm grateful for some of that. It goes on in verse 17, but God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. See, the first time he came into the world, he didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world through him. So here, this is unfolding. Here's why he came. We're all sinners. Death is the payment. He came to save us because God loved us, and he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. And Romans goes on to tell us that if you and I openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
we will be saved. We're the ones that make this hard, not God. It blows my mind and it makes me very incredibly sad to know that the payment for everybody's sin has already been paid if they would only accept it. See, for it's by believing in your heart. Pastor Tony's been talking to us about our heart relationship. I've got friends that I wish Merry Christmas to, and I'm sincere, but I got family that I wish Merry Christmas to that I'm a lot more sincere, you see, because we're related in the spirit. So I believe in our heart. We have a heart relationship when we're part of the family of God. Not only are we connected to his heart, but his love lives in and through us, and we share that with each other. To me, that's what makes Christmas so special. I can't imagine doing Christmas without my church family. Anybody else feel that way? That's why we're here. So it is by believing in our heart that we're made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So why did he come? To bring us salvation from our sins, not his, ours, and give us the free gift of eternal life. Now, if that ain't a good deal, Black Friday should never happen. That's the best deal you're going to ever get, that he will take your sins and give you his righteousness to replace it. I want you to grab this this morning. And if it hasn't happened, hopefully it'll happen. And if it has happened, you need to shout about it because you're forgiven and you've been given eternal life. That's that's a done deal. You don't keep Jesus. Jesus keeps you, amen? Aren't we glad for that? So we've asked and answered the question, why did he come? But I want to consider another question. Why would Jesus come as a baby boy? There's a Christmas song that says it seems like a peculiar way to save the world. And I've heard it said that wouldn't it have been a little more impressive if Jesus had showed up in all his glory on the 50-yard line at the Super Bowl? I mean, how many millions of people would see him then? No, he came as a non-threatening baby boy to best depict what the love and grace of God, a loving God, looked like to a love-starved world. Do you notice that he appeared? His angels appeared to the shepherds. Yeah, they were the lowlifes of that time. Also, he came as a baby boy because as he grew up and became a man, he then would know firsthand what the testings and trials of the human experience are all about. So, he would be able to mediate, to intercede, to represent us to God the Father. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, this high priest, and he's speaking of Jesus, of ours, this high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses. I am so glad. You ever talk to somebody that just doesn't understand what you're saying? Well, Jesus understands our weaknesses. 
Why? He faced all the same testings that we do. The King James says temptations. Uh, the, the clearer definition of that word in the Greek is testings. See, he was never tempted to sin because he didn't have our nature. But he sure was tested. He sure was tested. So let's talk about what some of the testings that Jesus went through and see if you can identify with any of these. You see, he went through these so he could truly understand what you and I go through. We have a Jesus who knows and cares. That's why he says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. I don't know if everybody knows the, the meaning of this, and I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but a lot of us get sympathy and empathy mixed up. You see, I can sympathize with someone who's lost their wife, but I can't empathize because it's never happened to me. What Jesus knew, because him and God know everything, he knew what we go through, but now he knows what we go through, because he became one of us. So what are some of the testings? Well, first, he experienced the vulnerability of being a helpless, needy infant, totally dependent on his mother and father. This is the king of glory. This is the king who we read about earlier that created everything, and nothing exists today that he didn't make. And he became vulnerable means when he wet his diaper, he needed changing. Hello. Yeah. Don't you think Jesus didn't wet his diaper? He did. He was a human being. He was all human, and he was all a God. Scripture tells us he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. Just a little baby boy. He was born in Bethlehem. Another thing that he experienced is he experienced the pangs of hunger. You know, in this country, sometimes we think we're hungry, especially on Sunday about noon. Most of us, I won't say all, but most of us in this country have no idea what real hunger is. Jesus experienced hunger, not only as a boy growing up, but he experienced hunger after 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Said he was hungry. Well, what else has, have you experienced that he has? Well, he's experienced physical pain. Everybody in this room has experienced physical pain, and I'm glad for those nerves to tell me when I'm putting my finger on a hot stove. You know, they're there for a reason. Nobody wants pain, but pain's trying to tell us something. Well, he experienced physical pain just like you and I do. Can you imagine growing up in a carpenter's shop and never hitting your thumb with a hammer? I don't know about you guys and gals, if you've ever worked with tools, I'm sure there was a time Jesus hit his finger. And I, I'm not sure what he said, but I'm pretty sure he worshiped the Father. But not to speak of the pain that he went through during his crucifixion. He experienced physical pain. He experienced emotional pain, and he experienced spiritual pain. The physical pain, we've talked about a lot. He was taken, and they had a crown of thorns. We've got a crown. I've got a legitimate crown right over here if you ever want to try it on. I did one day, and I didn't leave it on long. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And I'm pretty sure if I know anything about Roman soldiers, they didn't just set it there. They planted it there. 
And then they took him and they, they whipped him. Forty stripes with a cat of nine tails. Most men never survive that. And then they took him and they nailed him to a cross. A nail in each hand and a nail over his feet. And just to make sure, they stabbed him in his side. Yeah, he's experienced physical pain. Folks, don't think you're going through this ever alone. Jesus understands. He experienced great friendships on a more positive note. He had great friendships and relationships. Who can tell me where his favorite place was to hang out? Well, no, that was not his favorite place to hang out. He went there often. The scripture tells us his favorite place to hang out was Bethany. That was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were his people. And I know that the scripture points out how important it was that Mary sat at his feet and learned, but I'm going to tell you what, I bet he enjoyed Martha's cooking. Amen? So he had some good friends. And if you read the Gospels carefully, there were three of his disciples that for some reason, he always took them a little farther than the others. Peter, James, and John. I don't think it's because he loved them more. I think it's because they loved him more. But he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration with him, and he took them that extra step further in Gethsemane when he was praying just before he died. Oh, he, had, he experienced great friendships and relationships. He also experienced betrayal and rejection. Teachers, don't ever underestimate what you do. When you're teaching, and I'm talking about teachers, not only in general, but teachers of the Word of God. What you're doing is so important. But I can tell you this, don't ever feel like a failure. Because the master teacher, Jesus, taught one-on-one with a guy named Judas for three years. And he rejected him and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. See, it's not all about us. It's about our decisions. Somebody asked me just this last week, well, why does God allow this? Why does God allow people to die, innocent people? Why does God allow little babies to be born with age? You know what? God's allowing us is his greatest love gift to us. He gives us free choice. How would you like it if he said, Pete, you're going to love me and you're going to enjoy it? I know that wouldn't go real well with my wife. You see, he's given us the free choice. The problem is, is our choices don't just affect us. They affect everybody around us. And mankind's sin is why these things happen, not God's fault. Well, he could stop them. Well, he could stop your free choice. How would you like that? Another sermon, another day. Judas sold him all. Peter denied him. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, it said, many deserted him, walked away from him. And he says to his disciples, will you leave me too? And what did Peter say? To whom would we go? You have the words of life. Oh, did he, he know what it was like to be forsaken? Yeah. And you know, he also, he also knew what it was like to be lied about. Anybody here ever been lied about? Well, that stinks, doesn't it? Did you know that that even happens sometimes in church? When I came into the ministry a few years back, I thought Christian folks were just the most blessed people in the world. 
And some are. But some of the meanest people I've ever met are sitting in pews in a church, and that's exactly where they need to be. You ever been lied about? You remember it. Well, he was lied about, and here's, here's who lied about him. The chief priest, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They lied to the people, got them stirred up, so they would crucify him. Because none of what they said was true, other than the fact that he was the king of the Jews. He experienced being misunderstood. He experienced, listen, he experienced for the very first time ever physical limitations. Prior to him coming to earth and taking on the body of a man, he was never been limited with time or space or place. But once he became a man, he could only be in one place at one time. That's a big limitation for someone who had none. Because he wanted to reach the world with the gospel, but he could only be one place at a time. And that's why he trained 12 disciples. Because he said, I'm going to leave and you're going to take over. He experienced exhaustion. You ever feel just wiped out? Sometimes there's a good stress and that'll wipe you out too. I love Christmas. I love all the preparations. I certainly love all the goodies. That's why I wore a baggy shirt today. And I love it. But even all that good will wear you out and make you tired. Just the last week, I kept telling Jerry, I said, I need a nap. She said, you just had one. I said, I need another one. Good stress will wear you out too. Here's another one. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Because, you know, in America, we're very, uh, ah, thank you. Thank you. I love my sound booth, guys. Very materialistic. Did you know that Jesus experienced owning nothing? Now, wait a minute. He's the one that created everything, but he owned nothing. Scripture tells us in Matthew 8, 20, if you want to read it, he said, the foxes have their dens, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So if you get feeling sorry for yourself, the creator of the universe had much less than you and I. I think that calls for thankfulness. He experienced loneliness like we can't even fathom. The words ring out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, here is the personage of the Godhead who had always been with his father. The greatest anguish, I believe, that happened that day on the cross is when God had to turn his back on Jesus because he became sin who knew no sin so you and I could have the righteousness of Christ. And God turned his back on his son. He had to because God doesn't accept sin not even when his son became sin. So, and I would challenge you to name something that you've gone through that he hasn't. He lost loved ones. Oh, you said, well, he really, you know, Lazarus died, but he knew he was going to raise him. He wept. He, he said he wept because of the heartache that he saw around the loss of that good man. There's nothing. I, I can't think of a single thing. I could have gone on and on and on. 
I can't think of a single thing that you and I have experienced that he hadn't. Except he inherited sin. He didn't sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what I was talking about earlier. He took my sin and in exchange he gave me the free gift of salvation and righteousness and justification. You know what that word justification means? Just as if I'd never sinned. If you got guilt in your life, it's not from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's from the liar. His name is Satan. If you've asked to have your your past forgiven, it's not only forgiven, it's forgotten. God says, I'll remove it from you as far as the east is from the west, and I'll remember it no more. God's got selective memory. Amen? So, I ask you, does he understand what you've gone through? Or what you're going through now? Or what you may be going through in the future? I would give it a hearty, yes, he understands. Now, he turns around, and knowing that he understands, he said, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. So he came to bring us salvation and give us eternal life. Eternal life. There's nothing down here that's eternal except your life. Do you know that? You're going to live somewhere when you die physically. Your spirit and your, your emotions are going to live forever in one place or the other. We're going to get to that in a minute. He became the living sacrifice, the only one that was acceptable. Thank you. Amen. That's my little amen-er back there. Acceptable sacrifice to God. Why was he acceptable? Because he was perfect. You and I could die for our sins, and it's still not acceptable. It's not a good enough price. And God knew that, and he said, I've got to have a perfect sacrifice to cover all of sin. So he he came to bring us salvation. He also came as a baby boy to experience life just like we do, just like we do. To represent us moment by moment, problem by problem, and day by day, he represents us to the Father. I'm so glad. I'm so glad he's not only my redeemer, but he's my high priest. And he's yours too if you've accepted him as your savior. So when all his work has, had been accomplished, he commissioned his disciples then and now. If you're a born-again believer, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he gave us a commission. He said, I want you to go into the whole world. I want you to start right here at home. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea. I want you to go to Samaria. I want you to go to the other parts of the world and share this gospel because I've paid the price. Now you just need to spread the good news. And our country is at a crossroad right now. Are we going to share the good news or are we going to let them die and go to hell? I don't want anybody's blood on my hands. You know, we've discussed over the last several months that as a believer, he gives his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. That started on the day of Pentecost. And the believers waited, and he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell them. 
So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's spirit who represents God and all that he has, all of his power, all of his wisdom, all of his love lives in your heart. What are we doing with him? So often I act like I've lost my last friend. I have the God of the universe living in my heart. Wake up, Paul. Am I getting loud? It's almost over. Maybe. See, he wants us. He wants us to walk in fellowship with him. That's a lot of what Pastor Tony's been talking about. We're missing out on the joy, the greatest joy. See, a lot of us are going, well, I'm saved, and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come because this place really getting ugly. Why can't we have joy and fellowship with him? We're more than conquerors. He's, he's already won. I read the end of the story. He wins, so do we. He wants us to walk with him. He gives us the power. He gives us the ability to walk in fellowship with him and boldly share the good news of Jesus Christ with people around us that don't know him. Trust me, we don't have to go to another country to tell people about Jesus that have never heard of him. They're all around us every day. All around us at work, in the schools. They've never heard about the love of Jesus. That blows my mind. But that tells us, church, how far we have fallen, how big the fate is in this country. Listen, Jesus is everything we need in every situation we encounter. I want you to watch this video with me. And if you feel like shouting, like Pastor Tony, my go, woohoo, do it. There are approximately 2 billion heartbeats in the human lifespan. And the human mind processes, on average, 47,000 thoughts in a single day. Over 17 million a year and over 1 billion in a lifetime. That's, That's hundreds of millions million 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 of questions in a human life. Of those questions, these three down. These three down. down. Who am I? Who am Why am I here? Where did we come from? These three questions led to an even bigger question. These three questions lead to an even bigger question. These three questions led to an even bigger question. A question that answers all questions. A question that answers all questions. All questions. Do you know me? Do you know me? No, no, no. Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only 
one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Tyler couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's the least we could say about having a glorious Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Your name be praised. But do you know him? That's the question. Do you know him? After all that's been said so far, I ask you one last question. Why did he come the first time? He came to prepare us for the second time. You see... Ladies and gentlemen, he's going to be back soon. And it, it's, going to, it's going to be very different than it was the first time. You see, he came to save the world the next time he comes to judge the world. He came as a baby boy. Next time he comes as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Praise his holy name. Listen, Scripture tells us he'll be coming for his bride. His bride, you know who his bride is? All of us who have believed in him. To take us to be with him and God for how long? Eternity. Jesus helped us to sink in. Listen to what John wrote in a revelation 19, he said, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, 
bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Are you part of that bride this morning? Uh, Will you be at the wedding supper of the Lamb? Did you know that Scripture also tells us that we can only make this choice while we're alive? Because he said it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that is the judgment. There's no purgatory. It's not in the book. There's no second chances. They're not in the book. You may be having your second chance this morning. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I want to get out of my lawn this week and just start doing having rapture practice, baby. Just get up there and say, I'm ready, Lord. Old Christian comedian friend of mine. You should say, listen, go in your neighborhood and get a sinner under each hand so when Jesus comes, you can get up about halfway and say, do you want to get right with Jesus or do you want me to let go? And it's kind of a humorous way, but he's saying, we need to grab people and bring them, especially our family. I know family's the hardest to talk to. You know why? Because they know us. Who do you think you are? I am a sinner saved by a precious Savior. And I want you to be saved too. He will come again soon, and he will come to judge the earth. Listen, listen to what John wrote. God revealed this to him. John wrote in Revelation 20. He said, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, the earth and the sky fled away, and no place was found for them. In other words, there's no place to hide from God Almighty. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to to what they had done. Now let me change this into the first person. I'm not changing the meaning. I'm changing the tense. And if. Oh. And, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And we were judged. Each one of us. According to what we have done. And if anyone's name. Was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. Thus saith the Lord. 
This is not politically correct. Because everybody wants to believe in heaven and nobody wants to believe in hell. Because hell is kind of inconvenient. And we don't want to go there, so we don't believe a God would send us. He said he will. Because you and I, if we waste his son's life, deserve to go to a hell. Especially once you've heard it. We have no excuse. So why did he come the first time? To prepare you and I for the second time he's coming. And he's coming soon. He's coming soon. See, he came as a baby boy to be a savior the first time. But the next time he comes, he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the judge of all. So I close with questions, personal application. The whole reason we're here. He came as a baby boy, and we're celebrating that, but he came with a purpose. That's why on the cross, when he died for our sin, he said, it is finished. I have become the sacrifice for all sin. Now go and tell everybody, and they'll be saved. So the question is, do you know him? Don't I'm not asking you if your mom and daddy knows him. Do you Know him. Now's the time. We say, I've been in church all my life. Doesn't make a difference. The people that were in church all their lives killed them on a cross. Do you know him? And the other question, even probably more important than this, is your name written down in the Lamb's book of life? Will you say it was at one time? Well, then it's still there. Man, I'm so glad God doesn't write in the Lamb's book of life with a pencil. He writes in there with the blood of his precious son. That's what I envision. And it's there permanently. Maybe you've strayed away from him. Maybe you've gotten caught up in this fade that we've been talking about. Where we like to look a lot like the world. So we don't stand up so much. And we're not so politically incorrect. I can tell you what, Jesus wasn't politically correct. And so I ask you this morning, before you leave this room, do you know him? Do you know him? He came the first time. And we love to celebrate Christmas. But I'll tell you what. Christmas is nice and it's sweet. And we give each other gifts. But I'm going to tell you what. I'm thankful for Christmas, but I'm more thankful for Easter. How about you? That's when he gave us the gift that nobody else could give. Would you pray with me? Father God, please touch our hearts. Sense the importance of your love and your grace this morning. Oh, Father, you've reached down to us. A sin, love-starving world. I'm sending you my best. He's coming to rescue you. God, if there's anybody here this morning... Who's never accepted you, Jesus, as their personal Savior? Please, Lord, draw them to your side. Draw them to your side. Help them to understand, just like the rest of us, we've all sinned. And we're, we're going to inherit the consequences of sin unless we trust what you did, Jesus. I can't pray for somebody else, but I can pray that they'll ask you to be their Savior. So if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I, I don't know that I've ever done this. I've been in church. I've heard about 
Well, he's the savior of the world, but he wants to be your savior. So ask him. Say, I've sinned. I'm sorry for my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart this morning. I want to be your child. I want my name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Granted, Father God, through the power of your Spirit, with our eyes closed, nobody moving around, please, just for a moment. Listen, we read earlier that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Christ Jesus will be your Lord. So I'm going to ask you right now, with our heads bowed, I want God to see you raise your hand and say, I ask Jesus to be my Savior today. I asked him to be my Savior today. Anyone? Yes, yes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Don't wait. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and you said, you know, I, God's really shown me how far I've drifted away from him. I've gotten real, real cold, and I want to renew that relationship. Don't you know he wants it more than you do? Just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for going my own way. Forgive me for having my plans when I know that you got plans for me. Draw us back to you, Father a difference in our lives so we can make a difference in others' lives. Jesus, we love you and we owe you everything. And you know what? We can't wait to see you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.